time, let's turn to our Bibles to Luke 9. And as we prepare to read, we have to remember that God's Word is holy and He is holy. And in order to give honor to God and to His Word, we'll stand as we read Luke 9, starting at verse 1. If you're able, stand. This is God's holy and infallible Word. Luke 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have even two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking them with him, He withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Let's pray. We thank you for this, your word, and we ask our God that you would work mightily through this, your word, as you have promised, especially through the preaching of your holy word. Help me as I preach and help the congregation as they listen, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. There's a time in which a leader has to pass on the torch to others. If you have a boot camp, you have a drill sergeant who trains and sometimes vehemently trains um, those under him. But then one day he has to be able to send them into battle. And here we have the case of Jesus in his earthly ministry. He stayed long enough to work and prepare these men to then themselves go out and do ministry. And here is one of those occasions where Jesus is sending them out. But by the time that Jesus um, died was crucified and resurrected, raised from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, these men were then finally prepared to be the foundation for the church. And when we we just recited the Nicene Creed, we believe in an apostolic church. It doesn't mean that we, uh, this is the apostolic or somewhat Pentecostal church, but it's the church that is founded upon the foundation of prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. 
And here today's text is an essential passing on of authority and power to the twelve to go and do ministry for the building up of the church. Earlier in Luke 7, Jesus raised this, this, the dead son of the widow of Nain, raised him from the dead. And another occasion he did a, in Luke 8, he healed a woman of a hemorrhage, a bleeding that she had for 12 years. And he, he also raised uh, the son of Jairus, I mean the daughter of Jairus from the dead. So these miraculous works among the many episodes of healings and casting out demons had been passed around and others have heard of it, especially as we find out and we read earlier of Herod hearing of the works of Christ and him himself wanting to see Jesus and see what he was uh, doing in his ministry. As we focus on today's text, the main instruction that we have here is that Jesus gave power and authority to his 12 apostles. And we'll see this in three main points. The 12 sent out. Second, Herod's questions about Jesus. And thirdly, the continued ministry. So let's look at this first main point. The 12 sent out, verses 1 and 2. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing. Now, the Greek word here used in verse 2 is very important because the, when he says here he sent them out, this word here is apostello. It's very similar to the noun form apostolos. So you could say in a basic way, an apostle is one who is sent out. But we've come to understand it as an apostle is one with delegated authority sent out to do in the name of the one who sent them. They were able to preach in the name of Christ. They were able to heal in the name of Christ. They were able to cast out demons in the name and authority of Christ. They were given power and authority in this text in many ways. They were given power and authority over demons because Jesus Christ, as our King, has power and authority to restrain and conquer all of his and our enemies, according to the Shorter Catechism. He has power, yes, over the devil, over the evil one, and all of his minions. Therefore, he was able to delegate authority for them as well over the evil spirits. He gave them power and authority to heal diseases because Jesus himself is the great physician. The great physician, which is a fulfillment of Psalm 103. Let's turn there. Psalm 103. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who, this is all through Christ, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your ears with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. When Jesus was healing all of these diseases, perhaps many of the Jews thought of Psalm 103, that Jesus Christ was doing this. But it's only through Christ 
wherein God pardons not some, but all of our iniquities. Getting back to uh, Luke, he was given, Jesus Christ was given power and authority in his preaching, but he himself delegated or gave to the twelve power and authority for them to proclaim the kingdom of God. How were they to do that? They were to speak his words after him. They were to tell the, the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news of Christ coming into the world. The eternal Son of God. The long-awaited promised one coming into the world to save sinners. Next, we find that Jesus was telling each man to take only the very essentials with each with him. Verse uh, 3, he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even take two tunics apiece. Now, if you study the, the other gospel accounts of this quote from Jesus, there seems to be an apparent difference here. And... According to Mark, I'm going to read that. I have it, it's in your outline. Mark 6, 8 and following. It says, He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. Now, one says, Don't take a staff. One says, Take a staff. And, but I do believe that there is an answer even to the disagreement, not between this one, but also with the account in Matthew. And Dr. Hendrickson wrote this, how we reconcile this problem. The warning against taking along extras probably carries over to the next item, sandals, and to the next, a staff. If this is correct, what Jesus is saying here in Mark, you could say he's saying it also in Luke, is not to take an extra tunic, an extra pair of sandals, or an extra staff, not take these extra things. In other words, Jesus is telling them to take only the bare necessities with them as they do their ministry. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've studied any what people call the minimalist lifestyle, where, in other words, really cut down and living with as least amount of stuff as possible. There's some wisdom to that, but I don't think that's what this passage is teaching. Um, I think there's wisdom to it, but you know, not having more than you really need. But in Matthew 10.10, 10, the reason that they would take only the bare essentials with them is, is given in Matthew 10.10. 10. It says, For the worker is worthy of his support. If they needed an extra set of clothes, or if they need their clothes washed, they were to go into a home and to be provided for by those whom they were ministering to. As they went from city to city, they would ask who was worthy to, for them to enter the home, and they would go into their home, and they were to have hospitality exercise and provided for because the worker is worthy of his support. That's why they, they wouldn't take extra food with them, because they had food provided, and the necessities would be cared for them by the people of God. If not, they would move on to another area, another city. 
But notice what Jesus said for those who were going to reject and refuse to give their support in hearing the word of God from them and from caring for them and taking and supporting them. Verse 5. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There are peoples and there are communities that have rejected Christ. And one of the worst things possible, and mentioned in, in the book of Revelation, is that you'd have a light, a lampstand, or the light of the church removed from that community. And that was one of the judgments uh, for the churches, or for some of the churches, actually, that their lamp would be removed from them. But in verse 6, they went out and they were faithful in preaching. He says, departing, they began going out throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Herod hears about this, and that leads us to our, our next main point, Herod's questions about Jesus. It's not just about Jesus, but also about the apostles. Look at verses 7 through 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Now, verse 7, when Herod is called a tetrarch, uh, the, the Greek word here could be translated as the ruler of the fourth, um, according to one source, the ruler of the fourth. He was ruler over Galilee and, a, and also another region called Pira. He was, I don't know if this means a ruler of the fourth of, of the promised land of, the, of Jerusalem, I mean of uh, Israel, but he was considered a delegated authority who ruled under Rome. Sometimes he's called King Herod, but he's the Tetrarch. Now, when we read here that Herod reports, heard reports of all that was happening, he wasn't just hearing reports of Jesus, he was hearing reports of the works of the, of the apostles as well, casting out demons, raising, um, casting out demons, and of course the stories of Jesus raising the dead as well. But according to verse 7, I believe the, the miracles done by the apostles were what Herod was talking about as well. We have to be careful that somebody doesn't say, if I only saw a miracle, I would believe. Maybe you met somebody like that. You know, I, I've never seen anything supernatural, so I don't really believe there's a God. I believe that God just... Well, we all evolved from protoplasm and we're all going to die and rot in a grave and be eaten by worms. And that's all, that, that's all this existence is because they have this naturalistic view rather than a supernatural understanding of creation and God's world. But this claim for some to say, if I only saw a miracle, then I would believe. It's not true. Because even when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jewish leadership were present at that time. They saw the dead man walking out of the tomb 
they understood that he was raised from the dead. But what did they later on plot to do? They wanted to kill Jesus and they even wanted to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence of the supernatural mighty work of the Messiah. Verse 7 says that Herod here was greatly perplexed. He was greatly perplexed. He had no idea who Jesus was. Verse 7, he, he wondered if Jesus was John risen from the dead. And then this is likely built on some guilt that he had because he really didn't want to have to put John uh, to death, but he made some stupid oath. Um, and that's why he ended up having John beheaded. He, says he, he said in verse 9, I myself had John beheaded. Is this John raised from the dead? But then the other question is, is this Elijah or one of the other prophets of old who have been raised from the dead? It is mentioned that um, one would come in the spirit of Elijah, according to the prophecies. So maybe that's one where we get this interpretation. But we understand by what we have read in Scripture that the identity of this Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the only Redeemer of God's elect. According to Westminster Shorter Catechism 21, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God became man and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. So that's who this man, God-man, was. The only redeemer of God's elect, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh as the Holy Messiah. It says in verse 9 that Herod kept trying to see him, kept trying to see Jesus. I find it strange that a man who is a ruler of two regions in the Promised Land can't get the resources to find Jesus and be able to to be able to sit and hear him, but he, I guess he had a lot of things going on, didn't he? He kept trying to see him, according to verse nine. Later on in this gospel account, I'm giving you a little preview of what's coming. Is that when Jesus is later taken captive? It says that Herod did finally get to see Jesus. And it explains in, in uh, Luke 23 that he was hoping to see some sign performed by him. He didn't want to put his faith in this Jesus for his forgiveness of his sins. He was interested in seeing a sign or a wonder. Jesus says a wicked generation looks after a sign here. But uh, Herod did interrogate Jesus, but Jesus answered him nothing. And neither did Jesus perform a sign for him, except later on he did perform the sign, the great sign of um, being raised from the dead, which is the ultimate sign. Jesus Christ raised him, being raised himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. In a similar fashion, just like Herod was perplexed, a lot of other people are perplexed. They are confused about who Jesus is. When you talk to others, a good question to ask them is, well, you know, what, what do you understand or believe about Jesus? 
Because you, you meet people of different faiths and religions. But a very good question to ask them is, what do you understand or believe about Jesus? And that will open up a great door of opportunity to talk about some amazing things concerning the Holy Gospel. Again, each of us are called to give a reason for the hope that we have in us. And that hope is that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, has obeyed the law for us, and has accounted his righteousness for us, and that he is the eternal, infinite Son of God, who him alone is able to bear the penalty of our sins and that of the elect. So let's look at this uh, notion of this uh, continued ministry next in verses 10 and 11. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them uh, with him, he withdrew by himself um, to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Nobody knows exactly how long the apostles were gone for. Were they gone for days? Were they gone for a week or more? We don't know for sure. But when they came back, I think that they were delighted. They were excited. Verse 10 says, uh, I'm sorry, he, it says here that uh, they told Jesus uh, in verse 10 of all that they had done. They gave Jesus a detailed account of all that they had done. Then it says, Jesus withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But then he then takes along the apostles with him. I believe the reason for this was that Jesus needed to get a time for rest. The eternal Son of God, who took on flesh, still had a human nature and still needed rest. And we can relate to him in that aspect of his human nature. We, like Jesus, also need time for rest and reflection. Uh, One scholar wrote this, Working without resting, being busy without ever taking a vacation, performing all the arduous duties pertaining to ministerial or missionary activity, and never taking time for a retreat, for relaxation, discussion, prayer, and meditation, will never do Even Jesus, because of the heavy burden that he had taken upon himself, needed periods of withdrawal. He needed time to withdraw and to have what some might call a retreat. Um, According to this source, this was a secluded place. Earlier in chapter 4, Verse 42, Jesus went to a secluded place for the same purpose. Um, It's kind of like you have a prayer closet or you could pray in a secluded place as well. And Jesus here in, in today's text, verse 10, he invited his 12, his apostles, to join him for this time of retreat. Each of us needs time. Not just time with our spouse or with family, but we need time sometimes alone for prayer, for reflection, for communing with God. Jesus, is, Jesus himself needed it, and you need it as well. 
But notice Jesus didn't get a whole lot of opportunity for rest. Verse 11. The crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. So Jesus went away to a secluded place for time for rest. Didn't seem to get much. And yet, still, he didn't mind being bothered in the midst of that attempting to have rest and and a retreat to then break out of that and continue ministering, preaching, teaching, and healing those in need. Now, I did some some reading um, concerning, and I've been sent sent pamphlets concerning this regarding the uh, OPC Committee for Ministerial Care. And what they're recommending is having sabbaticals and retreats for a time of reflection and rest. And one place said for even several months, that would be called a sabbatical. A retreat is brief, maybe days or a week. But a sabbatical is for several months or two months. So it's a lot of ministers I heard take two months. I don't think Jesus here got much of an extended time of rest but he did have time of retreat. So I, I believe the scripture tells us, not only for ministers, but I think th- there's a time where we need, a, we need a break. We need a time of retreat. But I wholeheartedly believe the text supports that. But I don't, I don't see that the text really supporting taking months and months off um, for an extended sab- sabbatical. Um, maybe if, if the Lord allows me to minister for several more years, I might be asking for something, but I, um, I don't see that being the case for myself. Um, even days is a great refreshment for me. Jesus gave power and authority to his 12 apostles. The 12 were sent out with power and authority to restrain and conquer in the footsteps of Christ, all his and our enemies. They were given authority to heal diseases, as Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Psalm 103. They were to proclaim the kingdom of God, speaking his words, telling of his gospel. Now, we don't have apostles still today, but we do have those ministering in the name of Christ, as when we have the Lord's Supper, one of the, one of the things that we have is that as I minister the Lord's Supper, I minister in the name of Christ, ministering in His name. Herod had questions about Jesus. People you meet will have questions about Jesus. Be ready and able to give an answer of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. And this continued ministry reports that even Jesus himself needed time, along with his apostles, to have a time of rest and retreat and recuperation. And likewise, we need times of solitude, rest, and retreat to be able to commune with our Lord. Let's pray together. We thank you our glorious Lord, that even through uh, this text that you have revealed yourself and the wonders of your glory through your Son who gave power and authority to his twelve. 
We thank you that you even have revealed to us the human nature of your blessed Son, who even himself needed time for rest. Help us, we pray, to imitate the blessed Lord Jesus, that we would find time to be alone, to commune with you, to pray unto you, to seek your face. Oh, Father, bless your people. Bless us with with a true and saving faith, trusting in Christ alone, that he has suffered and died for our sins, and that we are your children. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.